Welcome back, podcast fans. I'm your host, Annette Hines, and this is Parenting Impossible, the special needs survival podcast. Well, this has been, you know, one of our crazy weeks for sure. Um, We got through the hurricane, thank goodness. Uh, Many of our friends who have homes in Florida and my daughter who is at school in South Carolina and so many people we know and love all are accounted for very minimal property damage. We are so blessed. We have been saying prayers of Thanksgiving for a week and a half now. So thank goodness for that. And so many prayers for people who did not come out as lucky as we have. Um, This week, another important topic. We are here to talk about financial planning again, and your life story financial, which is a company that Michelle Francis is part of. She is a successful entrepreneur. She owns a financial planning firm serving clients locally in the Metro Denver area and also virtually online. She's an advocate for the rare disease community. And in in here, in this podcast episode, she will tell you her story as she is mom to three, two of whom have PKU, which is a rare metabolic disease that's diagnosed at birth. We talked about how to develop financial literacy for your children and your family and other financial planning considerations for families with special needs and chronic disease that impacts them. We also talked about the formula shortage and how that caused issues, uh, not just for babies, but also for kids and adults with metabolic disease. And what some of the things, what were some of the outcomes from that? Uh, Michelle was referred to me by another great guest that I had, and I'm so grateful. If you know somebody who would be a great guest or you have a great topic that you would like us to cover, please don't hesitate to reach out. Go to specialneedscompanies.com and you click on our podcast page. There'll be a form to fill out that will come right to our podcast assistant And she will get in touch with you and talk to you about your story idea or your guest idea. And maybe you have both. Maybe you would love to be a guest and tell your story. About half of the episodes that we have are telling our stories. And that is so important. We talk about that all the time. It is so important to be telling our stories. The other half are for um, professionals to come and to deliver the information and support that our families just so sorely need. So without further ado, I'm so excited to present this episode to you with Michelle Francis of Life Story Financial. Here we go. I'm here today with Michelle Francis, who is so lovely and and I'm so happy to have her on the podcast She's a financial planner, and as I discussed, has so many interesting pieces to her professional life. Um, I am so excited to talk to you. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me. This is a a topic that I'm very passionate about, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, so I've 
been doing a little series started with uh, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, who was a phenomenal interview. Um, tough, tough shoes to fill. You know, this is yeah. a hard one to come after, <laughs> Michelle. <laughs> Definitely. But, you know, financial matters and financial preparedness and um, just really kind of getting the emotions uh, in check when it comes to money is a passion of mine. And I am a planner by nature. So I like to have everything in order. But as I said with Kathleen and, and talked about in my intro to her podcast. Mm-hmm. It's funny how prepared I am in my business life, but in my home life and my personal financial matters, I find myself terrified half the time and the emotion mm-hmm. just takes over. So that is something that I really want to jump in and talk to you about. But can you please tell us a little bit about your story and your family? Because this is so important to understanding how and why you work the way you do. Definitely. So um, I am the parent of three children, two of whom have a rare disease called phenylketonuria or PKU. It's an inherited metabolic disorder that affects about one in every 10,000 people in the U.S. And um, back when, so I have twins and a younger son, and one of the twins and the younger son have the PKU and Back when um, my one twin was diagnosed, I was working really hard, um, working a lot, and had no choice but to kind of take a step back and and look at my work-life balance and figure out what was most important. So, Mm -hmm. And then how did this diagnosis kind of change your focus on not just what you're doing, but how you do it? Definitely. So at that time, um, I had, I'd worked for, for a big firm and right, you know, right around the time that my, my twin daughters were born, I I went out on my own because I really needed to have the flexibility from a time perspective, my daughter having PKU, I was hauling those babies to our local children's hospital, which was 45 minutes away every day for several weeks. And then after that, it was once a week. Mm. It was overwhelming at times. And I I really had to to take a step back and slow down a little bit in my career to to make that work because her health was critical at that, you know, especially as an infant, that's, that's the most important time to treat their disease mm-hmm. because their brains are growing so quickly. So and what does this mean for them? Special diets, other metabolic mm-hmm. issues? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so what it means for individuals with PKU, so their bodies are unable to break down phenylalanine or phee, which is an amino acid that's found in all proteins, really all foods. So people with PKU have to limit how much fee they consume. And uh, probably even more importantly than that, they have to drink a special medical formula that contains all the other parts of proteins that we all need to grow and thrive. Mm-hmm. So um, as you can imagine, the, having to supplement their very restrictive diets with medical foods and medical formulas can be very expensive. 
Yeah, uh, my husband and I have great health coverage. We're very lucky, mm-hmm. um, but we have to pay for the medical foods out of pocket and it's expensive. And we okay. see a lot of our community um, struggling with that. So they weren't covered by any, uh, the, the medical formula was not covered by your health insurance? Well, no, the medical formula is covered by our health insurance. It's the medical foods that we also have to supplement our, our kids' diets with that is not covered. I see. And okay. in fact, the PKU community is fighting really hard to get a uh, bill passed called the Medical Nutrition Equity Act hmm. that would require that it would require at the federal level that all insurance companies provide coverage for medical foods and formulas. Fantastic. And you're involved um, in this with your, with the organization? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So our, our organization is called the National PK, PKU Alliance. Mm-hmm. And so parents, PKU families across the country are going to our local, you know, to our state legislators to try to get them to, to, fight for this bill. It's a really important bill that would help help our community a lot. That's amazing. I know as a rare mama myself, you know, living in this rare disease world is a challenge and just getting yeah. through every day is a, is a lot. But to actually take up that charge for other families as well, you know, congrats and thank you for doing that. That's wonderful, wonderful work. We did, um, we had a lot going on in the mitochondrial community for so long. Mm-hmm. And a couple mm-hmm. of organizations rose up because of that struggle, all started by families, always started by families, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, so, you know, before I jump into the financial piece of this, I mm-hmm. really can't help but ask you about the formula shortage that we've just been living through and How has this impacted you personally, but also the community, the rare community? Yeah, so, so scary. So, um, you know, there was lots of media coverage about the formula shortage in relation to babies, infants. And that makes sense because everybody knows when you have a baby, that baby needs milk, that baby needs breast milk, or if for any number of reasons, there isn't breast milk available, they obviously need formula. But what fewer people understand is that for diseases like my children's, which is a metabolic disorder, which means, um, you know, it has to do with their eating, their PKU formula is the single most critical um, aspect of their medical treatment. It is their only source of protein and the majority source of their calories. And when the Abbott uh, formula manufacturing plant shut down, there were a lot of PKU families whose medical formula was produced by that plant. Mm-hmm. And then what started happening, so our formula is produced by a different manufacturer, but PKU um nutritionists were having to switch PKU patients to different, to our types of formula, which caused an overall shortage. And that was something that was affecting children and adults. PKU is a lifelong disease that has to be treated. And so 
it was that the formula shortage was something that that was affecting our, our whole community made us all, you know, made myself, my husband and the whole community realize how precarious our situation could be. Yeah. We think living in America that, you know, we're always <laughs> going to have what we need and yeah. we don't have to worry about it. You know, maybe yeah. we have to struggle to pay for it, which is a different story, but right. not even yeah. having it available at all. I know, um, although my daughter Elizabeth is passed, you know, she was on Elicare, also mm-hmm. a special mm-hmm. metabolic formula and she could not eat. And um, yeah. her formula was one of the ones that was impacted. And certainly I, I don't know what we would have done. You know, I think for yeah. her, she would have ended up in the hospital um, living on, you know, IV um, fluids and IV uh, yeah. formula until which she did when she was a baby um she lived on tpn parental formula nutrition Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. for about two years so i think you know we would have had to go back to that which has it's not um you can't live on that forever and now it has so many risks of infection because it has to go in through an Mm IV line and Mm -hmm. so you Not know, to mention how uncomfortable that is. Yeah, yeah. I just don't Physically. even, um, you know, I, I, I don't understand completely how all of this happened. But, you know, one of the things that you and I talked about a little bit was having that preparedness for a crisis mm-hmm. like this. So mm-hmm. as a financial advisor, I am sure <laughs> that you talk about that preparedness every day. But what did your family do? You talked about having a little bit of a backstore of formula. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So what, what my family did so years ago and my kids were much younger. So we of course get our formula through a medical prescription mm-hmm. and our prescription gets filled once a month. And then um, our kids is med- medical formula gets shipped to our house. And what was starting to happen is if it was a day that had 31 days versus 30, mm-hmm. for an example, we would find ourselves cutting it dangerously close to running out of formula because they were only giving, our insurance was only paying for a 30-day supply right. of, of what they were allotted. And then we're, we live in Colorado and I started thinking about, well, geez, what if there's a really bad blizzard and the UPS truck is delayed a couple days? Right. My kids really can't go a couple of days without their formula that, that they would, they would be starving. It would be like not having food for them. So we asked our, our nutrition team to please increase their prescription so that their prescription, you know, their daily prescription is for a higher amount of formula mm-hmm. so that we're not running, we're not cutting it close. And then because we've been doing that for a number of years, we're usually getting a can or two extra of formula a month that we don't always need. And so we had some sitting in our basement that we were able to pull out. And I have a really good, uh, a local family we're really good friends with. I ended up giving her a few cans because they full on ran out. Wow. Wow. Because all of our formulas were waitlisted for about, it was about two weeks. Wow. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, just thinking that through with your provider makes a lot of sense. And certainly making that emergency preparedness 
mm-hmm. is a good idea. You know, um, the formula, the medications, having a little backstore of medications yeah. as well, if you can, yeah. and some other things like we needed hydration. So for us, it was Pedialyte mm-hmm. on through mm-hmm. the G2 and on and on. So, okay, well, fascinating stuff. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk to you about your life story financial, which is your, your business. And mm-hmm. you wrote that money is the heart of our life story. And you tell your story on the website. Mm-hmm. What does that mean to you? Money is the heart of our life story. Tell me about that a little bit. Yeah. So something that I've learned uh, working working with people is that, well, well, number one, money is really hard to talk about. Yes. Well, what I find is, is people have a hard time talking about money either because they feel ignorant, they feel embarrassed, or they just feel overwhelmed. And, but the, but the fact is, is that so many of the decisions that you make day to day in life are based on what you were raised and what you witnessed about money. Yeah. So for instance, if if you're somebody that grew up very poor and you felt that your your parent or parents were very stressed out about money, you might be somebody that even if you're making enough money, you might feel like you need to hoard it. You might feel a sense of insecurity mm. about money that affects how you make decisions about money, like how you spend it, how you save it. Makes and sense. so what I strive to do with clients is interview them about their, their money history, what they were taught about money, what they observed about money, what money, how money makes them feel. Because if I can help figure out that, and then I can figure out a little bit better what, what motivates them. And then when they also share their, their most important money values then I can help build a plan that makes a lot of sense and that they're motivated to implement. Right. Yeah. So with, with learning more about stories, I want to get to the heart of the importance of sharing that, sharing the stories. Um, I, I based this podcast for three years on sharing our stories because I think they're so central to um, spreading knowledge, information, and um, really bringing our disability community together. So mm-hmm. in the financial world, why is it so important to share our financial stories, not just with our financial advisor, but yeah. you know, yeah. in general? Just in general, yeah. I, I think that it's it's so important because the more comfortable you are talking about money, the more comfortable you are being able to say, hey, I don't have all the answers, but I know I need to, to learn, the better able you are to, to make decisions about money. Um, so, you know, something else that I, that I notice about folks, especially if they're feeling a little bit stuck when it comes to making financial decisions is they ignore it. They don't make decisions. You know, when you're, when you're the parent of, yeah, when you're the parent of, of a kid or kids with special needs or chronic disease like mine have, you're basically just trying to survive most days. Right. And yeah, so, 
it's super hard to get to the scary parts of life. You know, you're always mm-hmm. feeling like the bottom has fallen out from under you. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and it, it can be so hard to get to that point where you're advanced planning. I mean, that's, again, where mm-hmm. I try to get people to, I really want them to yeah. dream and have a vision. And you need that yes. in order to be able to yes. do a plan. Um, yes. You know, when I ask sometimes, and maybe you encounter this too, when I ask people, what is your dream? What's your vision? What mm-hmm. what, do you, mm-hmm. what goals do you have? Sometimes they look at me, especially women. I don't want to say mm-hmm. that this is a woman's mm-hmm. problem, but especially women. Mm-hmm. And they're like, I don't even know. I don't, I don't yeah. think about that. I never dug that deep, like just trying to get I, through the day. How do you get, what is your process for getting people, especially women? Cause I know that you like to work mm-hmm. with women. How do you get yeah. them to the point where they can set goals and take control of their financial life? You know, the way that I do that is not only digging deep on, on their past and, and what they were, you know, what the, the money story that they carry from their past, but really finding out what's important about money to you. And so generally speaking, when I initially ask that question, you can imagine it, it's a very general answer. Uh, money to me, especially if you've got special needs kid, uh, money to me is security. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, what is it about security that's important to you? Yeah. Oh, well, I want to be able to make sure that my kid has enough medical food and formula mm-hmm. to thrive. Mm-hmm. And then maybe asking an even deeper question, well, what's important about security when it comes to money for you, not just just your kid? And then maybe it's something like, well, I don't know if I'll be able to stop working yes. and retire with, but you know, with having to to take care of my uh, of this situ- this special needs situation and, and higher medical costs than most mm-hmm. people people pay. So yes, yeah, many people are able to get their kids launched. And so they get mm-hmm. them off to college, they get them settled in their mm-hmm. job, maybe they get them, you know, married off, whatever their life situation looks like. But for many of us, we have maybe a lifetime of caregiving mm-hmm. to do. Right. And some of us are not sure if we're going to be doing mm-hmm. a lifetime of caregiving or not. So it mm-hmm. makes things so uncertain and so overwhelming. It does. It does. And, you know, I, I work with folks that don't have special needs kids and money can still feel overwhelming and making mm-hmm. those financial decisions can feel overwhelming. I love that you say that you give advice free from judgment. So that is <laughs> just like music to my ears because I have definitely met with advisors in the past who are really making judgments about what your goals should be, what your Mm -hmm. plan should look like, what Mm -hmm. your dreams should be. Mm -hmm. You know, don't tell me what to dream, please. 
especially if I'm in a vulnerable situation. Um, yeah, so absolutely. And it's different for everyone. How do you, how do you really establish that rapport and give people the comfort that they need to, you know, bond with you in order to have this, you know, judgment free uh, yeah. advice and counsel? Well, I, you know, one of the ways that I strive to do that is to actually tell my own personal story as it relates to money. So when I was in my 20s, around this, in the same year, I, I was divorced from my first husband and laid off from my telecommunications job. That mm -hmm. was during the, the internet bust. And so there, there weren't a lot of job opportunities. So I ended up getting very deeply into credit card and, and other types of debt. Um, almost lost my townhome. I managed to hold on to it by getting some roommates. But I felt incredibly, uh, in. I experienced major financial instability and insecurity. And it really weighed me down. It was almost always on my mind. And so when I finally started working full time again, I decided to, you know, I had to take control and teach myself how, how to get out of debt, how to save an emergency fund, how I should invest my money and, and save for the future so that I never experienced that again. That's fantastic. And, and obviously I made some mistakes along the way, I, you know, getting that deeply into credit card debt, that's not something I'd recommend anybody do but it happens mm -hmm. and it happens to everybody every everybody is bound to make some sort of financial mistakes along the way either because yeah. they were given bad advice or they didn't take the time they should have to make a decision it doesn't matter what does matter is moving forward and you can help people do that mm-hmm um, there are so many people who name themselves a financial advisor or financial planner, and mm -hmm. it's so hard for the general public to understand what am I getting from you? You know, what will you do for me? What is, you know, what does it mean to be a financial advisor? And you are a fee only planner mm -hmm. and that is not the norm. Um, I personally True. like it. Uh, I like it for my clients because I know that they're going to get neutral advice, mm -hmm. um, regardless of whether they're investing money or whether they're purchasing products or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So can you talk to me a little bit about how does one go about picking and finding a financial advisor that really meshes with their family style and goals? And then what does it mean to be fee only? Definitely. So I always tell uh, folks who are looking for a financial advisor to interview more than one. And definitely to find out what, what it is that they have to offer, how they offer it, and then how they're compensated. So um the, the main ways that, that overall financial advisors are compensated is either through commissions. And so commissionable financial advisors are usually the ones that work for big insurance 
or investment companies, they're selling uh, brokerage accounts or mutual fund shares. And when they sell those up front, they get, they get a commission. Okay. And the reason that uh, that model maybe doesn't work the best for everyone is it's it, you're con you're, you're as an advisor, you're needing to find your next client because you're really only getting paid that initial commission. Mm -hmm. So here you go, client. I, you know, open this Roth IRA for you. You also have an IRA and maybe a couple other types of investments. Good luck. I need to move on to the next client. Okay. So and it's what I didn't, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I think that it's harder to get longer term advice because that's right. mm -hmm. the compensation's up front versus ongoing. So that's why the industry then shifted to a model called advisory fees or another common term you'll hear is assets under management or mm -hmm. AUM fees. And what that means is if that advisor or planner is managing your investments, then they're charging a fee on those investable assets. Mm -hmm. um, I do financial planning and investment management. And when I do manage client investments, I, I charge that AUM fee. And what that means is um, anytime I'm trading on that, that client's account, making changes to their account, they're just getting charged that one annual fee. They're not getting charged every time a trade is placed. Yeah. In the old days, you would hear a lot a about commission. commissions and churning. So churning. Yeah. Always trades that they could get paid on. Right. 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 But now what's happening, what's starting to happen in the industry, and this is where I, I fit in, is uh, charging a flat fee for financial planning. And what that means is charging a, a single fee, it, you know, it might be an annual fee to put a financial plan in place for a client mm -hmm. and looking at all aspects of their financial life. So not just their investments, the investments are really a small piece of that. It's also looking at taxes, insurance, budgeting, paying off debt, paying off student loans, saving for college. Mm. Yeah. Looking at work benefits, employer plans. So, you know, when I when I got into the industry, I was really attracted to the financial planning side of things. Um, my, my, very far over just the investment management side of things. Wow. So I always like to kind of close out the podcast and make sure that we're giving our audience a couple of tips and like the next mm -hmm. steps, you know, so as people yeah. are thinking about this and trying to get their financial house in order, what very specific advice would you give one or two things that people need to be thinking about or, and, or the next thing that they mm -hmm. should do? Definitely. So, uh, you know, something that I think every special needs parent should know is that it's very important to start saving for your child's future today, mm -hmm. right away. And even if money's tight and, and you know, you can't afford that much, even saving a small amount really adds up over time. Mm -hmm. And you just don't know what those future costs are going to look like. 
And then, uh, you know, another piece of advice I think is really important is just to get in the habit of tracking your expenses. Oh, and, so good. Yeah. And thinking ahead about what your budget might look like in, in the, the near and even uh, distant future and including things that aren't so obvious. So things like tutors, transportation, mm-hmm. special foods, um, therapy, counseling, adaptive equipment, you name it. Really important to track those expenses and have an understanding of when those might come up. And if you are not here anymore, where are the funding's going to come to pay for all that stuff? Exactly, exactly. So that's kind of the, the last, but I think equally important tip is making sure to, to plan for either you or your partner not being able to work because you become disabled. Mm-hmm. And then thinking about what happens when you're gone. And that's where insurance plays a very important role as well. That's where everybody, everybody listening right now, Michelle is going, (laughs) I don't know if I can face this, but you can, because you only have to take that first step. You know, Mm -hmm. everything does not have to get done in a day or this month. No, no. Baby steps. So Michelle, I love that tracking your expenses. That's something you can do today to get started, to Mm -hmm. take a look at what your monthly annual expenditures are. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I really like the idea of starting to find somebody that can be your sounding board, your advisor. Mm -hmm. I think it's Mm -hmm. really important to start looking now. I always tell people, you know, talk to your friends, talk to your neighbors. Definitely. Who do they like? Maybe it's not a good fit for you, but you can start developing that list of, you know, people to interview. So Michelle Mm -hmm. said, interview them, see what's a good fit for you. Just because somebody is a phenomenal financial advisor for somebody else doesn't mean they're going to resonate with you. And that's okay. Yeah, exactly. We're not all a fit for, for every type of client. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and at the end of the day, you have to, you actually have to really like that person and feel like you can trust them and, and feel like they're not going to judge you. Exactly. And we really need people to be able to open up to us in our professions. Otherwise, we are not going to be able to get the work mm-hmm. done for them that yes. we need to do. Exactly. It's so we need but- all those details. <laughs> <laughs> Not you because have, we're nosy, but because it allows right. us to give the, the most relevant advice possible. Yes. You know, and I thought I would just ask you one more thing before we close. Working with special needs families is a, ch- a little challenging sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it's different than your traditional mm-hmm. typical client or customer. Um what tips would you give to other advisors or other professionals in working with our families, you know, how to make the relationship more solid and also get things done that you need to get done? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think first and foremost, you just need to have empathy for the family's situation and know that it's, it's a very time consuming and at times overwhelming an emotional situation. My kids are otherwise happy and healthy. 
um, you know, the disease that they have is, is not as serious as, as the diseases that some other types of, of kids with special needs have, but nonetheless, it can be very overwhelming at times. Mm -hmm. And we need families like ours need that empathy. Um, it's also really important to make sure that the family is thinking way ahead, planning way ahead. It's, you know, for the most part, we're just surviving day to day, but we yeah. need somebody to help us plan ahead. And then also make sure that any advice that you're giving isn't going to affect the family's ability to get government support. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I remember one time working with a financial advisor who was very frustrated because the family wasn't returning the paperwork that they had given them. Mm -hmm. And I said, mm -hmm. oh my God, <laughs> you have no idea how tired we are all the time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not that they don't want yeah. to. <laughs> exactly. It could just be that we spent most of the day at the hospital for an appointment or because something unexpected came up. Right. And we just can't do that one more thing right now. Exactly. So sometimes exactly. you have to think as an advisor or as a professional, what can I do to get this task done, but to do it in, in, a mo in the most helpful way? Mm -hmm. Should I jump on the phone and fill out the form with them? Mm -hmm. Should mm -hmm. I you know, get on a video call, like we have all Zoom now? And um, yes. you know, what, what yeah. can I do to help this person? Because they they called you, they want to mm -hmm. work with you and they mm -hmm. want to get this done. But yes. You yeah. need to help them do it. So exactly. Um, okay. Well, Michelle, this was fantastic. I'm so fascinated about this whole formula shortage thing. And it's really given me pause for wanting to get deeper into um, critical crisis planning with families mm -hmm. and things like yeah. that. So I'm so glad that we got a chance to talk today. And it's so nice to meet you. Yes, it was so nice to meet you too, Annette. And thank you so much for the work that you're doing in your business and, and on this podcast. It's it, it helps us all feel a little less lonely in our journey. Oh, thank you. That's really what I was going for. And it, it's really great that you're out there. One of the best things that I get to do is talk to so many wonderful, amazing people doing such great work around the world. It's yeah. fascinating. It's so uplifting. And, um, and I love it. So I'm just lucky. I'm so lucky. You are. So, you are. Yeah. I can thank you so that. much. And um, I look forward to chatting with you again sometime. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I just wanted to take a second to say how much I appreciate you taking the time to listen to these podcasts. I'm having a blast doing them, and I hope that you're finding the content to be what you were really hoping. If you are, please take a second to leave a rating and a review. It's so helpful in getting this content out to people who really need to hear it. Thank you so much.